Thank you, Donna. What a wonderful prayer. If you brought your Bibles today, I invite you to open them this uh, first Sunday of our new year to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read through chapter 2, verse 6. It's a short uh, first chapter there in 1 John. And I'm excited today we're going to begin our theme for the year. And as I was praying and thinking through what is it that our church needed to reflect on during this coming year as we were planning our message series, and I, I was impressed over and over again with the idea that Jesus has come to be the light of the world. And that's not just a theory. It's not simply a statement saying that Jesus has some superhero type of spiritual glow about him, but rather that there is a truth that God wants us to live in and be guided by in and through every single day of our lives. And so we have set the theme for this year of living in the light. And that's what John is addressing here in the first chapter of the book of First John, his letter to a church, not to be confused with his gospel. Uh, John wrote three letters to three churches, and then he, of course, wrote his gospel in the book of Revelation as well. So I want to invite you to read along with me from 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 6. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ." And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments." Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And this is God's holy, inerrant, and eternal word. May he add his blessing to its reading and its proclamation. As we think about this idea of living in the light, and each of our message series this year is going to be based around that theme. We're going to be studying in the book of James, and we're going to be talking about living in the light of God's wisdom. Beginning next week, we're going to be taking a look at a series of invitations that Jesus gives us, and we're going to be talking about what does it mean to live in the light of God's invitations. But today, I want to talk about a particular invitation to set maybe this entire year out in a way that allows you to think and process life biblically. If there's one thing the last two years have taught us, it is that life is fragile and we don't know what's coming next. If I had told you at the beginning of 2021, for example, that the Haltermans would go months and months without a car, you might say, that's ridiculous. What do you mean they can't find this particular car part, right? If I had told you some of the things that had happened in this last year were to occur, we, none of us would have believed it. And, 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 you know, we wouldn't have believed there was an attempted insurrection of the United States government Not even one year ago, but there was. So, what's coming this year? The answer is, we don't know. We don't know. Only God knows what is coming this year, right? But I want you to hear in the passage that we just read, an invitation from God on how you can live regardless of what is coming. And specifically, to live in the light of three realities. We want to live in the light of the reality of a holy God. See, what we believe about God's nature shifts how we respond to any of the situations that we are in. And I want to also point out that we are called to live not only in the light of a holy God, but a gracious God. Because God is not merely an all-holy, all-consuming God. He's a God of infinite grace and love. And what you believe about God's grace is going to change how you treat other people. And how you look at yourself in light of whatever is coming. And then I want us to see that there's an invitation from God to live in light, not only of His grace and His holiness but the fact that he's an active, living God who's in the business of redeeming the world. So what you believe about living in the light of a redeeming God will change you this year. So that's our theme that we're going to look at today, living in the light of a holy God, living in the light of a gracious God, and living in the light of a redeeming God. Let's take a look at what it means to live in the light of a holy God. Uh, John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message that we heard from Jesus and which we are proclaiming to you. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Now, stop for just a second. If you were trying to summarize the, everything that Jesus said 
How many of you would have picked this statement here? This is what John, who spent three years or so with Jesus, said. Here's the summary of what Jesus taught. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Why is that so critical for us to believe? Because John understands that if you don't have a fundamental understanding of God that says God is holy, He's different from us, He's unique, He's not like every broken human being that you've ever met. He has no mixture of sin or error or weakness in Him at all. If you don't believe that about God, everything else in your life is going to be based on a lie. So John wants you to grasp this. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And that is good news for you and me. Good news is God is holy. Listen, every popular media personality has failures. And and this last year has brought huge exposures. You can't seem to last in this current climate without somebody outing your sin. And that's true of religious leaders. Just just, uh, a couple of days ago, a, a pastor who foolishly, unwisely, and sinfully reached out and tried to communicate via social media to a number of young women, found himself suddenly outed, and he's now under investigation by his denomination for, for a sinful and evil action. How he thought he could hide that in the 21st century is shocking to me. Folks, even if you manage to make it through this year without God exposing all of your sins, the truth is other people's sins are going to be exposed and you're going to be tempted to cynicism and disappointment and bitterness and frustration when you see other people's sins if you don't believe that God is holy. See, here's the thing. When we say that there's good news in the idea that God is holy, what we're saying is every person that has ever disappointed you, God is not like that. He's not like that. There's no secrets that God is hiding from you that would change the nature of His character and your relationship with Him. You can trust Him completely because He doesn't have any flaws or failures or hidden weaknesses. There's no part of God that He's concealing away from you saying, don't look at this part of me. God has opened up Himself to you and revealed Himself as a God who is infinitely holy. We read this earlier from Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts is what the angels say around His throne room. Repeating it three times in this pattern that indicates this is... It, you might think of it sort of saying this. Holy, holier, holiest is the Lord God Almighty. Each time gaining in emphasis and power, the whole earth is full of the glory of a holy God. God is putting Himself on display and saying to the world, I'm not like you. I'm not like every broken person that you have ever ever met. That means that God cannot and does not sin, right? We see this most perfectly 
in Jesus Christ, who was tempted in every way like we are and yet did not sin, right? He's sympathetic, according to the author of Hebrews, to us because he has been tempted in every way and yet lived a life that was without sin. Every moment of his life, he loved God perfectly. Every person that he ever met, he loved completely and fully. There was no act of Jesus that wasn't a reflection of the loving reality of God. Now, that's not you and me. And that's good news. The good news is you have a Savior who was given the opportunity to sin in every way and yet never did. Not one moment where he gave in to gossip or frustration or bitterness or self-righteousness or pride. Now, that's good news for you and me. Here's some more good news. You may not think of it as good news. Our unrepented sin separates us from fellowship with a holy God. Now, how can I say that's good news? Why is that good news to you and me? Well, first off, let's take a look and see if what Scripture says is exactly that. Well, it is. And John says it this way. He says, if we say we have fellowship with God, we... We say we're in, the word fellowship is koinonia, we're an intimate community with God. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Light and dark don't mix. And so John says, get this, if you say, I have a close relationship with God, I really love God, but inside we are full of bitterness and anger and lust and pride and laziness and selfishness and apathy and fear, then we're lying. Now, why is that good news to you and to me? Uh, What if it gets worse before it gets better? (laughs) What if what Isaiah says is true, that our iniquities have made a separation between us and God, and our sins hide His face from us so that He does not hear. What if, like Isaiah, we come to the place when we're confronted with the holiness of God, and our response is to say, woe is me, I'm in trouble because there's an infinitely holy God, and that's not me, and I'm a person of unclean lips, and I'm surrounded by people who are unclean lips, and I live that way, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Why is that good news to you and me? Here's why. Would you want to fellowship with a God who is as sinful as you are? Would you want Him to be okay with your sins? Would you want Him to be okay with the sins of other people? Oh, it's easy to say, well, I I don't want God to be okay with with people like Hitler or mass murderers or serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't want God to be okay with that. I don't want God to be okay with pedophiles and rapists. I don't want God to be okay with that, right? We can all say that. But do you really want God to be okay with the little white lies that other people tell you? Do you want God to be okay with other people's petty sins. See, the good news of God, or or the holiness of God, is good news for you and me because we have a God who doesn't tolerate 
any sin. And yes, that has ramifications for us, and that means that our sins have separated us from God, but it means that you don't have to worry about your God ever mixing Himself with anybody else's sin. He's not in the business of being combined somehow into the sins of this world. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Light and darkness do not mix. And that means that all the darkness you see in this world, everything you have seen and whatever darkness you're going to see in this coming year, guess what? God has no part of that. That is not Him. That does not mean He does not allow evil or even command that evil things happen through intermediary agencies in order to achieve His light. But let me make this very clear. God has no part in that. So that's good news for you and me because God's not in the business of mixing Himself up with sin. And there's an implication that John wants us to grasp here. That means that denying or minimizing the reality of our own sinful condition makes us into liars about ourselves and God. Many of us have a habit of looking at the sins of other people and putting them under magnifying glasses and pretending that our own sins can't be seen without a microscope. And Scripture calls for us to live in a different way where we see our own sins thoroughly and don't make much of other sins, not because we deny the reality of them, but because the emphasis is on ourselves. John says here in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and then verse 10, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, he goes on to say in verse 10, we make God a liar and His Word is not in us. Jack Miller used to say to people, he says, cheer up, good news, you're a far worse sinner than you could ever understand. Wow. What if this year when somebody accuses you of sin, you may not agree with their particular description because they themselves are fallen, distorted creatures, but you might say, listen, here's the deal. I didn't do that thing that you actually said, or I'm not guilty of that particular thing. I've examined my conscience before God, but here's the thing I want you to know. I'm a far worse sinner than you even know. I'm a far worse sinner than I know. Sin has tainted and twisted me in ways that are bigger than what I can comprehend. And guess what? I'm not relying on my own ability to justify myself but rather the ability of Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that all of life is to be lived in the reality of a holy God. And brothers and sisters, hear me clearly. That means that when you see the broken sinfulness of individuals or groups of people, that you don't demonize them or dehumanize them in order to try and make yourself feel morally superior. It means that you recognize that there's a holy God, and yes, those people may be sinning, but you're a sinner too. 
It changes the nature of your relationship to the world and to history and the things that are happening around you. So the invitation is to live this year in light of the reality of a holy God. But we're also being invited to live in the light of a gracious God. Jack Miller wouldn't finish his sentence with saying, cheer up, good news, you're a far worse sinner than anything you could possibly understand. He would go on to say, cheer up, good news, You are far more loved by Jesus Christ than you can comprehend. You are far more forgiven than you could ever comprehend. When we minimize our own sin, we do something inadvertently. We make the grace of God small in our lives. And isn't that foolish? John wants us to grasp this. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we read these words. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John makes it clear. He has an agenda. He doesn't want you and me to be caught up in sin, right? He says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, died the atoning death that we should have died, was raised from the grave, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And what is He doing right now? As the perfectly righteous one, He is standing in your place and speaking on your behalf. The one who actually is holy is representing you before the holy God. Now, that, of course, is the message of the gospel, right? There's good news that Jesus, sent by God the Father, was revealed to be God Himself, right? That's what John is saying at the very beginning of 1 John. That which was from the beginning. There was something from the beginning of time, before there was meta, uh, a material uh, or, or physical realities in this world. There was something there. And he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard with our ears, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What was there before there was life? There was the word of life. And he says, the life was made manifest or visible. It was revealed. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you this eternal life. I'm telling you about life and light, he's going to go on to say. The eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying Jesus was not just a carpenter from Nazareth. He was life itself. He was the word of God spoken over all of creation. He's light in its ultimate reality. That became flesh and was revealed to you and to me. And of course, that leads us to the reality of why Jesus came. He, he came to live and die and be resurrected as our substitute, which John is going to go on to say in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He says, Jesus is the propitiation or the substitution for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus came to bear the penalty that we deserved, taking upon himself the guilt, the condemnation, the shame that we all feel when we sin. Guess what? He took all of that on himself and then say, and Father, I'm going to pay the penalty. I'll take the wrath 
that is due for this. Jesus, the life and light of the world, became flesh to be our substitute. Why would he do this? Because he loves us. And the good news is, you didn't earn that love. Do you know why that's good news? Because you can't lose it. If someone has loved you while you were ungodly, enemies, hostile, alienated, there's nothing you can do to earn their love. And that means that love is sovereign and free and it's not contingent upon your perfection. Do you know why that's good news? Do you feel that? Brothers and sisters, I can promise you this, if Jesus doesn't return, every one of you is going to sin this coming year. Most of us are probably going to sin not too long after this service is over, if not before. In thought, word, or deed. And you can't stop Jesus from loving you. Because you didn't earn that love in the first place. You're not entitled to it. John wants to drive this point home. So if you flip over in your Bible to 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, listen to what he says about the love of Jesus Christ for you. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest amongst us. Earlier he said the word of life was made manifest. Light was made manifest. Now he says the, the love of God was made visible or manifest. God's love was made real. How? God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John's going to go on to say that, that it's only the fact that God has loved us first that enables us to love God and others. All of us in our sinful inwardness, bent inward upon ourselves, will not love God until there's an initiating love that has come to us and frees us to, to be free from love of self where we're no longer the center of the story and we realize God is and that means we are now free to love God and one another. There's good news here, brothers and sisters, if you and I will live our lives in light of the graciousness of God. And that means every single day we recognize that the love of God was not earned and it cannot be lost. But through confession and repentance of our sins, we can experience the reality of God's forgiveness and His cleansing. See, it's the fact not that we can earn the love of God or lose the love of God that so often affects us. The truth is we act like we're losing the love of God. We cling to our sins. We cling to our sin habits. We try to minimize them. And that reality of trying to hold to the brokenness of who we are instead of releasing it does keep us from experiencing the reality of the forgiveness that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. It keeps us from experiencing the forgiveness that God has for us. That's why John says this. It's so important. 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice it's a contingent statement. If we confess, then He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, do you catch the power of what John's trying to say? Listen, he says, some of you are living with shame. Some of you are living with guilt. Some of you are living with condemnation. Some of you are filled with self-loathing and as all a result of you not actually confessing your sins to God. You want cleansing? Real, freeing, cleansing. You come to Him and you cast those sins down before Him and you cry out for grace. You want to experience the freedom of forgiveness and knowing that your sins have been paid for. Come before God and confess to Him. Don't wait until you've committed some sin you think is a gross sin, a big sin that's the result of you piling up habits of little sins into your life. Persist in this. And this is good news. And it is through faith in the good news message of what Christ has done, His sufficient work, that we enter into the community of the saints and true intimacy with God. When I started reflecting on this year, I was thinking a lot about this statement here. So I want you guys to, re- to, to reflect deeply on what I'm about to say. Through faith in the good news, we enter into community of the saints and true intimacy with God. We talk about what it means here at Redeemer to be a gospel-centered community. What I want you to think about right now is what John's saying here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. When he says this, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, this good news... We proclaim it to you. Why? So you can have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. D.A. Carson says the church is made up of natural-born enemies united together, not based on their preferences or their societal desires. The only thing that really brings us together from all these different walks of life and backgrounds is the fact that we've all experienced a common good news. We have a common Savior, and that's what unites us. It should not be our politics It should not be our opinions or our preferences about which sports teams we like. What should unite us should not be a similarity of age and background, but what should unite the church is the fact that we've all experienced the good news of Jesus Christ. That means any person who walks through that door in the months ahead or any person that you're out there sharing with and you think, man, that person is so far from God, good news, guess what? They are but faith-filled confession away from being united with you as a brother and sister in Jesus Christ. No matter who they are. No matter what their socioeconomic background is. And why does that matter? Because it is the church that has intimacy with God. Did you catch that? That's what John says. He says... I proclaim this message to you, this good news of Jesus, so you can have fellowship with us. And if you want to know, he says, who we are in fellowship with, 
We're in fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus. That means when you enter into the fellowship of the church of Jesus Christ, you enter into an intimacy with the Father and the Son. Intimacy with God is on promise. Brothers and sisters, do you want to live this year in authentic intimacy with the living God? That's what Jesus came for. Not so that you could be distant from God. Not so you could be far away from God and have a theoretical relationship with Him, but so you could live in intimacy with Him. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. God wants to bring all things into intimate relationship with Him, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross of Jesus. Theo talked about this idea of making peace, bringing wholeness and shalom into the world. Guess what? Jesus wants to bring everyone into intimate relationship with Him and into real community with His children. Writing to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is going to say this. I want you to remember, he says, here's here's living in light of a holy God. This is who you were before you heard the good news of Jesus. Remember, you were at that time separated from Christ. That's who you once were. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, the, the chosen people of God. You were strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You once were far away, but now Jesus has brought you near to the people of God. It goes on in verse 19 to say then, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In Psalm 16, the psalmist says his delight is in the people of God. So brothers and sisters, I just want to ask you this. If Jesus died, bled, so that April and I can be in a community of faith together. And so Ken Gagner and Maggie can be in a community of faith together. What possible right do you and I have to despise one another. What possible right do we have to devalue one another? If Jesus died to bring us into intimate relationship with one another, shouldn't we have the heart of the psalmist that says, I delight in the saints? Put it more bluntly, lots of people say they like Jesus, but they hate his bride. I get it. The bride's kind of annoying at times. In the groom, you see all the perfections, and in the bride, you see all the weaknesses. But brothers and sisters... To live in the light of a gracious God means that you understand this. That bride is precious to the groom. And you can't say you love the groom and not have his heart for the bride. Right? 
So we live in the light of a holy God. We live in the light of a gracious God. We also live in the light of a redeeming God. Now, why is this something I wanted to bring out here? Because there's a truncation of the Christian faith that says we are sinners. God sent His Son to deal with our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin. And someday, because Jesus is coming back and He's raised from the grave, we'll be freed from sin's presence. Now, that is all true, but it's not all of the truth. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He defeated death. He is raised and He is at work right now and He has sent forth His Holy Spirit to do something now in 2022 with His bride. In other words, He's not sitting passively in heaven waiting for the day His Father sends Him back, but there is a work that God is doing now in and through His church. That means that grace has an active work of freeing us, not simply from sin's penalty and eventually its presence, but from its present power. You and I are not under the authority of our old sin habits, the flesh, the world with all its confusion and ideologies, or even the temptations of Satan. They are not in authority over us as children of God. Grace frees us and transforms us. It redeems us. It takes that which was broken and makes it new. And that's what John's trying to get to right here in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-4. through 4. He says, by this, we know that we have come to know Him. How can you have assurance that you have come to know God? He says, if we keep His commandments. The Old Testament prophets testified that there would come a day when a new covenant would be made with the new people of God. And the difference would be that instead of the commandments being written on stone tablets, they would be written on our hearts. And that becomes the reality work of the Holy Spirit. John goes on to say, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. What does that mean for you and me? It means this, that the Jesus who died for you didn't just die to pay the penalty for our sin, He died for you so that you could, as Peter says, so that you could die to sin and live to righteousness. That you have been born again. There is an old you, a fleshly part of you that you can now put off and a new you of Jesus Christ that you can put on. You say, but you don't understand. I've been wounded. I've been broken. Bad things have happened to me and they shape my predisposition to sin. That is true of all of us. And Peter would say, but by his wounds, you have been healed. You've been healed. The blood of Jesus doesn't just free you, it heals you. You say, but I'm so far away. I've wandered off. And Peter says, but you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Do you believe that the God who saved you wants to free you this year of sin habits that have plagued you for decades? 
Do you believe that God wants to help you grow up to love people more and love Him more in ways that you could never ask or imagine this year? See, that's the redeeming God that we are called to live in the light of. It means that the operating rule, the the base operating system of our lives is not love of ourselves, but love of God and others now controls us. John says this in 1 John 2, verse 5. He says, whoever keeps God's word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. It's, the word perfected there is, is somewhat difficult for us to grasp. But he's saying, if you're walking in obedience to God, the reality and completion of love is being made visible in your life. In other words, there, there is a fullness of the target of your transformed life, and that is the reality of love. He's going to go on to say this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He's going to say, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So what are you going to love this year? I love how Ashley Knoll summarizes the theology of the great theologian of the Reformation, Thomas Cranmer. He says, Cranmer believed that what the heart loves, the will will choose and the mind will justify. What you set your affections upon this year matters. Will you love God first and love others second? Or will you choose to love something else? John's going to go on to say, by the way, in verses 11 and 12, he says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected or brought to completion in us. There's good news for you and me. The guiding principle of our life on January 3rd And on December 31st of 2022 can be this. God's love indwells me and it's changing me. And day by day, I love him and others more and more. And his love is being perfected. And the result of that is Christ-likeness. Now, some of us looked at ourselves in the mirrors on December 30th and 31st, and we thought, I'm not sure I'm looking too good this year. (laughs) Maybe that was just me. You know, I put on too many pounds, and and I I don't look like the person I want to be. But what if spiritually we could look into God's Word and into the reality of who He is and know this, that every time we do that, we're actually becoming more and more like Him. If you believe that you can live in light of a redeeming God, you understand this, that you are growing up to look more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus, that people see Jesus at work in you. And brothers and sisters, as your pastor, I want to tell you, I have seen Jesus at work in you this last year. 
I've seen Jesus at work in you when you serve one another by giving each other rides. I've seen Jesus at work in you when you sacrifice an extra hour of sleep and show up here early to serve one another. I've seen Jesus at work in you whenever you take your gifts and you use them to serve the body as a whole. And I've seen Jesus at work in you when you did that and no one else noticed. But you counted it all joy. You weren't doing it for attention. You were doing it because you loved God and you loved other people. John's going to say this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. He says, by this we can know that we are in Him. We can have another assurance, he says, and that is, whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. One of the assurances we have as Christians that we're in right relationship with the living God is this, that day by day we look more and more like Jesus. Now, that can also be a challenge because some of us are maybe ending this year thinking that we look a little bit less like Jesus than we did last year. And maybe today is a wake-up call for us. Maybe today we need to hear the Holy Spirit saying to us, you know, you do have the ability and the opportunity through God's grace to finish this next year looking more like Jesus than you ever have before. We do that by gazing upon Him, for as we gaze upon His glory, we're transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another, Paul says. One more key principle here, two more key principles here, I should say, that I want us to reflect on. And that is this. Radical transparency builds authentic community and leads to deep and real change. Radical transparency builds authentic community and leads to deep, real change. Maybe you're saying, I want to look more like Jesus than I ever have before, but you don't know how that change is going to occur. Two things are going to be absolutely necessary. Real, radical transparency before brothers and sisters in Christ who are committed to helping you and themselves grow up to look more and more like Jesus. John puts it this way, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, which is the verse that I've been reflecting on for the last few months that led us to this whole theme. So you're probably going to hear me quote this verse a lot this year. All right? It reads like this. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice it's contingent. If we walk in the light, then two things happen. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins. Here's the deal. Tim Keller puts it so bluntly. We cannot know God, change deeply, or win the world apart from community. Do you believe that? Some of us think we can change deeply on our own, but that's not the way the Bible designed us, or God's Word designed us. We're not designed for that, and that's not what God's Word teaches. You and I will not change deeply apart from an intimate relationship with the body of Christ. 
And Scripture says, if we are radically transparent, walking in the light in the way that people can see into our lives, the light of the gospel shines into every corner of our being, then we can have intimate fellowship with one another. Then we can experience the grace of God. We cannot be an authentic community with one another as spiritual pretenders. See, here's the deal. Uh, I can't really help you as your pastor if I don't know what's actually going on in your life. Would you agree that's true? You can't pray for me with any depth if I don't show you what's really going on inside my heart. We end up operating on the surface without deep relationship with one another because we're busy trying to cover up our sins because we're afraid that if our sins show, then people won't love us and maybe we think God won't love us. We make the same mistake that Adam and Eve made in the garden. Do you remember what their first response to sin is? They realize their nakedness. They realize their vulnerability. They realize that they are sinners and that God is holy. So what's their response? They make hula skirts. They put on outfits of leaves. Who are they hiding from? They've already seen each other fully naked. There's no one else there. They're hiding from each other. And then when God shows up in the garden, they hide from Him. As if you could hide from God. And you say, well, how foolish that is. But folks, I've watched it happen over and over again in my life and in the life of every person I've ever met. We are all in the business of being spiritual pretenders. And the only thing spiritually pretending does is isolate us from one another and hide us from God. It's foolishness. But we want to do this because somehow in our minds, it's better for somebody to give me a fake love than to love the real me. With all of my brokenness and sin. But they'll just never love the real you. Do you see how foolish that is? The good news of Jesus frees us to be real and transformed. Not to stay in our sin, but to be changed. The good news of community is that your brothers and sisters can love you in the midst of your brokenness and your sin, and in fact, in who you truly, really are, in your deep down, deep, deepest, darkest secrets. They can love you there and help lead you into the greater and greater experiences of the light of God. And if you don't believe that, church will always remain a place for you to be fake. For you to be fake. Jesus says this in John 11. Are there not 12 hours in the day? 
If anyone walks in the day, which means by that is light, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night or in the darkness, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Many of us are stumbling in our faith because we're refusing to live in the light. We're refusing to get real with one another and come before each other, confessing our sins, admitting the reality that we are not a holy people, yet that we are not yet done being made into the image of Jesus. And all that means is we stumble. I want to speak plainly here and carefully. Our church has been through some tremendous trials in the last two and a half years. And when I, in prayer and contemplation and reflection and seeking counsel, ask why, in every single case where there has been unnecessary conflict, Division and self-righteousness. It's because there were believers who were stumbling around in the dark and refusing to deal with their sins in the light. In the end, they caused great pain to the body. And they walk away insisting that they keep on their hula skirts. They experience no intimacy with the body and they disconnect themselves from the grace of God. Because it's if we walk in the light that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins. You don't get to claim that Jesus has forgiven you while you're trying to hide yourself from your sins or hide your sins from other people. It doesn't work that way. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you into joy this year. The joy of stop of stopping being pretenders. We, we, we can have real joy by stopping the business of being inauthentic. We can experience real healing and real change. That's the promise of James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Profound joy is the overflow of our authentic, intimate relationship with God and other believers. Do you believe that? John says it right here. He says, I'm writing everything that I just wrote for your joy. Now, some of our Bibles read our joy. The word they're trying to translate there in various texts has different levels of meaning. It's, it's our inclusive of everybody. I'm writing this so that I can be joyful, John says, and, and you can be joyful, that kind of our, or it could be the, I'm writing it our, uh, 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 all of our joy. 
John wants to invite you into joy, and I want to invite you into joy. By living this year intentionally in the light of a holy, gracious, and redeeming God. Now, you can cut yourself off from joy. You can cut yourself off from intimacy with the body. You can insist that there are secrets in your life that you don't want exposed. And you know what that will do? It will lead you to walk in darkness and stumbling and spiritual inauthenticity, and it will cut you off from God's grace. You will not experience the freedom and fullness of a relationship with God. Or you can make a choice. You can say, God is holy and I am not. And I'm a far worse sinner than anybody knows. But this year, I'm going to live in the light and reality of God's grace, and I'm going to let that light pound itself into the darkest places in my life, knowing that God is in the business of changing me and others into His image for His glory now and forever. One is the gospel way. The other one is the way of man and religion. So let's live in light of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, take now broken, inauthentic, perhaps ineffective words and make them bear fruit, I pray, by your grace. Grant that each and every one of us would live this year more and more in the light of the good news of your son, Jesus, committed to real fellowship. We want to experience the depth of real forgiveness and joy and intimacy with you and with one another that comes from a hope that says God can take the worst and most broken parts of me and redeem it and make it new. So, Father, help us to be more real than we have ever been before. Let us live this year in the light of your wisdom, your invitations, your truth. We want to be changed by you that the world can see and know you. We can't earn this or deserve this, but we ask that you would do this. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our propitiation and our advocate. In his name we pray, amen.